I was uh, going through a difficult time and I needed to be reminded that despite what was going on in my heart that those words in scripture are true whether you feel them or not that God's grace is sufficient and maybe that's uh, you tonight and maybe you needed uh, well to be reminded of that Great is your love and justice God
Good morning, Brown Corners Church. I'm Anna Sharp, and I'm here with some announcements. First of all, you'll see in the foyer that the Clare County Right to Life has their baby bottle project going again. This supports um, moms in need. Um, the bottles are in the back of the foyer. Make sure you pick them up. They need to be back by the 1st of November. That's in your bulletin if you want to read more about it. Second of all, the membership class starts Sunday, October 10th at 5 o'clock. Classes will continue each Sunday for three weeks. If you would like to sign up for those, you can go right to, your, to the Breeze app and um, sign on there. Or you could see Jeff Thompson also. I got a pile. I'd like to invite moms of school-aged children to our Connect for Moms, which is the second and fourth Tuesday of every month. Our group is growing. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, we have a lot of really neat projects starting. Um, we're doing food um, prep meals and freezer meals. We're going to start those this next time around. And the last announcement I'd like to tell you about, as many of you have heard about this, it's our ministry marathon My, my, my 26.2 miles? Yeah, that is a marathon. Head drop, head drop. Well, what do I get? I win, right? No, there's no winning. We have to run 22.6 miles in the next, like, 12 months. And Six. I did it in, like, three days. <laughs> well, let me, let me tell you, even though you got some fancy tennis shoes I on. I bought these just for this. <laughs> it's not about running. The ministry marathon is about serving our community. It's hours of service. Did I just run? You ran. 26.2. But, but it's okay. You're in shape now. So what am I supposed to do? You're in shape now. Well, well I, see I see you're signed up. You, you got know, your I runner's got a, number. I got a sticker. What do I do now? Well, now. Well, now I, I got a broken sticker, but I mean, I got the number. Well, now you can find an area in the community where you can serve. So I serve for 26.2. Correct. All right. What, where can I serve? Well, there's a lot of different areas. Can I mow the grass here? We'd like you to do it outside of our church. Can I'm I mow my grass? No. You can mow your neighbor's grass. All right. What about, well, that community food distribution happens. Yeah. Thank you for that. Perfect. All right. Perfect. Um, I, I like work helping the school. Can I volunteer, like, with Mrs. Gallagher's class? Yes, art class. Art Perfect. Right. She's in need of that right away. Perfect. What else can I do? Well, you can help with his helping hands. His helping hands. So do I just, like, show up to something? No, no, no. Call ahead. Call ahead. Call ahead. See where their service is needed, All where right. your service is needed. All right. I yep. don't have any of these numbers. Can I talk to you about yes. calling somebody? Yes, yes. We can get you connected. I also have a form on the table out back that has the information on it. All right. I'll but you. Me. I'll run back there and I'll go get the form 
perfect. Yeah. yeah, and then you also need to get your ministry log right. so that you can write down where you serve so we can see where God's working in our community. All right, well, I'm going to run and grab the wheel. Okay, right. I'll meet you back there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's on fire, just so you know. He has a million ideas. So if you need an idea of where to serve in our community for our ministry marathon, stop at our table. We'll be signing people up. Sign up as an individual, sign up as a couple, sign up as a family. We just want you to serve our community and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. We just thank you for what you've given us, Lord, and we just thank you for the way that you provide all the time, Lord. We just pray that as we, the worship team comes, that we can prepare our hearts, Lord, for um, your word, Lord, for worshiping you. And, Lord, we just thank you for that. We thank you we live in a community and a country that does that, Lord. We just pray for um, our church members. Some are ill, Lord. We just pray that you would heal our body, Lord. Heal our body physically. Heal our body spiritually, Lord. And we just thank you for going ahead of us and doing what you do, Lord. You are an amazing provider, and we thank you for that. We thank you for our worship team. We thank you that you live where we live so that we can worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come and listen, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would have not listened. But God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love for me. Let's stand as we praise. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. Love endures forever. Sing praise. Sing praise. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. His love endures forever. For the life that's been reborn. His love endures forever. Sing praise. Sing praise. 
that's awesome this morning. Let's sing out as loud as we can on this one.
Worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Sing this out. Holy, there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. There is no one like you, there is none beside you, open up my eyes and wonder and show I 
All the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. All the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. that there are many today in the family of God who are sick. They're having trouble breathing. My wife is one of them. She has bronchitis. So, Lord, we, we ask, as was prayed earlier, heal your body, Lord, so that we might be able to continue to praise and serve you with joy and gladness and see many lives turn to you. Lord, you are so good. You are so good. Amen. Marcus, come on up, buddy. I heard that Marcus was uh, going to help me out because I had a wedding up in Grayling yesterday, and I said... I'm too old to do a wedding up there yesterday and twice here today. So Marcus. Oh, it's so good to see you, Pastor. Good to see it you too, so Pastor. Good to see you. I hope. Let me pray with you. Oh, Father, thank you for Marcus and Ariana and their ministry, Lord, as they minister on the campuses, Lord. 
May they see the fruit of their labor, O oh God, as they continue in ministry. May they see hearts turn to you and lives in that process of transformation. Bless their ministry, bless their marriage, bless their family, Lord. And I again, again, I give him thanks for being here today. In Jesus' name. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, church. Uh, if we haven't gotten a chance to meet, as uh, Herb said, my name is Marcus, and I'm on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ for this mid-Michigan area of CMU, SVSU, and mid-Michigan college. Uh, but I got a new nickname today that I actually really like. And so uh, Tim called me the caveman. And so if you have trouble remembering my name, um, that's more than acceptable. Between me as the caveman and Joshua as the Viking, we're getting all the characters at church now. <clears throat> uh, before we dive into uh, today's text, I just wanted to give a thanks to the church. Uh, the church hosted our annual crew fall getaway again this weekend. We had 65 college students from CMU, SVSU, and Mid-Michigan College that came uh, and stayed Friday, uh, Friday evening and all day Saturday at the church. Um, and we just had a weekend full of worship and Bible teaching where we talked about Christ and uh, the scriptures and what a Christ-centered life looks like. We're not just being consumers of the faith, but being a light and witness and doers of the faith, faith with it. If you uh, walk around those fields, you'll find pumpkin seeds everywhere. We had our annual Pumpkin Olympics, where uh, we played Ultimate Frisbee with a Crisco'd pumpkin, uh, had our pumpkin lawn toss, and then uh, the insurance company probably won't like this one, but blind pumpkin carving was also one of our Olympic activities. But yeah, we had students from near to Jesus and far from Jesus come together and grow as a community, as a witness for their campus. And so... Uh, there's many names to thank. I just wanted to thank a handful. Um, please hold your applause so that everyone can hear all of the wonderful people who helped make this possible at the church. But then afterwards, I'd love a hearty round of applause and some woo-woos from people for the help that we got this weekend. Uh, Rob, thank you for opening the facilities, giving us a clean... Uh, fun, energetic place for students to dunk basketballs in Route 28 and sleep on couches in the classrooms. Uh, Pastor Jeff, thanks for mowing the big yard for us for our Olympics. Uh, Nathaniel, thanks for clearing the trails for us and opening things up so students could go on walks through the woods or hammock back there. We had a big uh, end of the fall retreat bonfire last night that everyone went out to, which was awesome. Uh, Joshua Marlena, thanks for grilling 70 burgers for us and uh, feeding our students. Uh, and for the many of you who donated food for this weekend, thank you. So with that, I'd love a hearty thank you to the church from everybody for helping make this happen. So Pastor Steve initially was like, uh, I know you're hosting a fall retreat at the church this weekend we need a pulpit supply. You think you can do it? And I said, no, but I'll try. So <clears throat> with very little sleep, uh, he had said, just come up and tell them what you do with college students. And I thought, eh, that's too easy. 
So I figured I'd come up and try and set up a little less of a sermon flow and a little more of a Bible study, but I still have a podium in front of me. Um, but we'll just check out a passage that I share with college students a lot in the same kind of format. So uh, hopefully as it edifies you, it also lets you know what's happening day around on college campuses in the mid-Michigan area. Um, one of my go-to passages is Mark 10 and the story of the rich young ruler. And so that's where we'll be today. Uh, I think this is such a wonderful passage because the rich young ruler and a college student are so alike. Even though college students are known to be broke, uh, the world is still kind of their oyster. They have lots of opportunities. They're studying. They're creating these careers and these avenues for development that they just have endless possibilities with where they're at in this life. And that's similar to the man in this Mark 10 passage. And while I see so many correlations between the young rich ruler and the college student, I think most Americans actually fit the narrative well of people who are prosperous, comfortable, and tend to have materialistic tendencies. And we might not think we're prosperous because we're comparing ourselves to Jeff Bezos, but when we consider our two-car garages and our warm homes and our full refrigerators, we're often more prosperous than the rest of the world. So, let's consider Mark 10 together. Um, other quick little introduction to the book of Mark. I, I was always a book of John kind of guy with Jesus, but I'm really enjoying Mark. Because Mark is such a like, here's Jesus and what do you say about him? What, what do you think? What do you believe? What are you going to do about what Jesus is? And so where Matthew is to, a little more about the Messiah part of Jesus, Luke's like a documentary and John is like a Bible study for a new Christian, Mark just sits at the coffee table and says, this is your creator and savior, how are you going to respond to him? And so that's why I like looking at Mark 10's account of this interaction compared to the other Gospels. Um, in context to our chapter. So starting the chapter, Jesus lays out some uh, heavy rules on divorce, where there's religious leaders who want to find ways to get out of unhappy marriages, and Jesus sets them to God's original intent for marriage. It then goes on to talking about the children who want to come and be with Jesus, and the disciples who are power-hungry and just want to build a status to rise to affluence, are trying to keep the kids out because they're not going to help the cause. Jesus rebukes them and welcomes these children to him with it. So this is the set of the chapter, to now we come to the rich young ruler. <clears throat> we'll read 17 through 31 and then start to dissect the passage. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished at his words, 
Again, Jesus said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished, saying to one another, than who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. Peter began to tell him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So this well-to-do man comes to talk to Jesus looking to assure an eternal life, like a retirement for your spiritual soul. And with this passage, Jesus gives him kind of like three soft tosses, like a dad teaching his kid how to play baseball. The rich young ruler, though, strikes out with all three tosses, and we're going to look at those together. So, starting in verse 17. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt before him, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this, I think, is strike one, and that the man opens with the swing and the miss. Because let's think about what just happened in Mark 10. Little children are running to be with Jesus, but they're not looking for something from Jesus. They want to be with Jesus. Let's think about other stories. Uh, we have the passages of the blind men who followed behind Jesus and his disciples, crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Think about the story of the bleeding woman who thought, if I could just touch the hem of his robe, I would be healed. Or the Roman commander who said, I don't need you to come to heal my son. I know with your word he'll be healed instantly. So these are the people who amaze Jesus' faith because they pursue him for him. They pursue him with a reverency and a deep spiritual hunger and need. But this guy comes looking for an ends to a mean, almost just like he's an insurance salesman. Good teacher. While others approach Jesus and fall on their face, calling him Lord, this man teaches and treats him as just another rabbi. And that's a scary thing because cultural Christians today tend to know that Jesus is good, that Jesus blesses them, that Jesus loves. But do they know that Jesus is God? Now, I've often heard what the swing and miss here is the what must I do part of the verse with it. Because as good Protestants, uh, we know it's not about do, it's about belief. It's about uh, believing with your heart that Jesus saves you and that's what saves you. But I think if this young man, rich man, would have come to Jesus and said, good teacher, what belief must I have to inherit eternal life? What theology must I know to inherit eternal life? I actually don't think the interaction is going to be that different. Because the problem is he's looking through Jesus. He doesn't see Jesus standing before him He's just looking to secure his own bankroll on the other side of Jesus. 
strike one. Having started off on the wrong foot, Jesus then gives the man a soft toss here. And we'll go to verse 18. Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. Now what I think Jesus is doing here is he's saying, can you see me? Can you see who I am? I remember reading this in college and being like, man, all these people keep telling me Jesus never claims to be God. It would have been so much easier if he just would have like come right out and said that in this one so I could show all my friends this verse where it's like, see, he said it, he said it, he said it. Uh, and while there's plenty in the scriptures to point to Jesus saying, I am God, uh, he goes a different route this time with it. He lingers. Uh, one of the things that has really influenced my ministry uh, is when I joined staff with crew, I had heard that one of Jesus' primary forms of ministry was just asking people questions. And so that's what he does here. Why do you call me good? Do you know who God is? Do you know who I am? Am I just another rabbi to you, or am I Lord to you? And I like how Mark's uh, an abbreviated man. He has no fluff here. But I do just want to kind of linger with this uh, text, because perhaps Jesus went directly into verse 19 in the original conversation, but I could also see him letting that question linger for a second. Right, like as a parent, when your kid runs into the room and says, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, and you say, whoa, slow down, who are you talking to here? Right, I'm your dad, or I'm your mom. Let's, let's rethink about how you just approached me and asked me for this thing. Or the please, right? Instead of just giving them what they want, it's like, what do you say to kind of slow the conversation down so this kid that just wants the apple juice realizes there's a person standing in front of them uh, in the way to their apple juice. So strike two. He approaches Jesus, and he misses Jesus. Now I think we get to strike three. And you may think that strike three is the one thing you lack, go sell all your possessions and follow me. But let me give a defense of why I think uh, verse 20 is strike three. The man said to Jesus, teacher, I have kept all of these from my youth. Now this takes some investigating to do from this. Uh, anyone, and I'd love actually to hear from you, uh, this list that Jesus gives of uh, the commandments where else have we heard this before? Check it out in the text. What do you say? I, I had a subwoofer as a teenager, so I can't hear that well, but I heard it. Did you say it? Thank you. Thank you. And I have a screaming baby, so a subwoofer in that. Give me some gusto. Yeah, these are the Ten Commandments that he lists off here. Now, he does assume that the man knows the first four, uh, which are the four about our relationship with God, and then he gets into the last ones that are about our relationship with each other. So I'm going to have you look at verse 19, and I'm going to read for you the Ten Commandments. And I want you to see if you can find what's different between Jesus' list and the Ten Commandment list. Because Jesus is still lingering with this question. Do you know who I am? So, the first four that he assumes. You shall not have any other gods before me. 
Do not make an idol for yourself. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now we get to the ones he lists. Honor your father and mother. Check. Do not murder. Check. Do not commit adultery. Check. Do not steal. Check. Do not give false testimony or bear false witness against your neighbor. Check. Do not covet. Huh. He doesn't list that one. It says not to defraud, but a good Jewish student, this is like the John 3.16 for them. Like they, they know this list of 10. They've been reciting it since they could talk. Why do you think for the young rich ruler, he kind of leaves this one as a fill in the blank for him? Having cross-referenced this, uh, and let's actually real quick consider covet. Covet is don't be greedy for what your neighbor has, right? Your neighbor has the car that you want, and you sit there and you're greedy for it. They have the house that you want, the spouse that you want, the life that you want, and rather than, right, it's okay to have desires, but have, have those desires stew within you, jealousy, uh, that's covetousness. But Jesus walks through this list, and the man responds, all these I have kept. So I believe that's strike three. Because at this point, he's approached Jesus like he's a genie. What do I need to do to get from you what I want? He totally misses who Jesus is, and he totally missed the blind spot in his own life as a successful, comfortable person. But I want you to notice something. At th it's at this point, not the beginning, not after the first strike or second strike, it's after the strikeout that verse 21 says Jesus looked at him and loved him. I think that's significant. Because grace isn't only valid for when you have a fresh start and there's potential for you to do the right thing. Or grace isn't for when you've messed up one or two times. Grace is for when you have struck out. You've blown it. You've failed. You've completely dropped the ball. And it's at this point, the rich young ruler sees Jesus looked at him and he loved him. There's the love there, but Jesus also isn't the type of Savior who says, you can follow me now and confess your sin later. Because his grace invites you into relationship, but also invites you to give up the thing that's killing you inside. If you lack one thing, go sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand and went away sad because he had many possessions. So this might seem harsh, but I actually think this is grace from Jesus. Because rather than being a doctor who opens someone up to find a problem, to then sew them back up and say, you have this, take care of this when you can, he's a doctor who zaps the very issue that's causing our death. Um... This is an example I use with college students. It's clunky, it's awkward, but hear me out with it. Uh, college students are a little crazy about who they're going to marry. Um, they feel like if they make it through college and don't get engaged, then it's all over for them and they're never going to find anybody. 
So the example that I'll give to them with this is say you find someone who's really caught your eye. You're really uh, enjoying them. You think they're really compatible with you and you'd really love to be in a relationship with them. But the problem is, is they're dating someone who's very toxic and manipulative at the time. It's, you're not going to approach that person and say, hey, you know, I'd really like to be in a relationship with you, but I understand you already have this other relationship going on, so we can just, like, we can be a dating relationship, and you two can be a dating relationship, and it's okay, we'll just share. Like, he can have you Tuesday through Thursday, I'll take you over the weekends, and it's fine, right? Jesus doesn't have relationships like that. If you're already in a relationship with something else, Jesus is going to be patient with you, but he's not going to share you. He's not going to be cool with you having a romantic desire for materialism, for someone you're not married to, for uh, a comfortable, powerful life. Jesus' grace is he calls us from the very thing that's killing us. And so there is an early church writer uh, who I think hits this very well, and his name is St. Basil. Uh, He grew up in the 4th century in a prominent, wealthy Christian family in Cappadocia, modern-day Turkey. His brother was St. Gregory of Nicaea, who had made powerful theological developments for Christianity at the time. This brother made arguments for God's holy trinity, but Basil wasn't as concerned with theology as he was with how the Christian lives their life. He's actually very obsessed with this passage and wrote a handful of things on it. He contributes to these three major works, but we're going to take a little excerpt from one of them. And the quote's going to be on the screen, I believe at least. Let's see if you can follow along. If not, I'll just read slow so you can listen. Okay, I'll read nice and slow. Follow along with St. Basil's quote. Why then are you sad? Why do you mourn in your soul hearing, sell your possessions? Even if your belongings could follow you to the future life, they would not be particularly desirable there, since they'd be overshadowed by the truly precious things. If, on the other hand, your possessions must remain here, why not sell them now and get a profit for them? You're not disappointed when you have to spend gold in order to purchase a horse. But when you have the opportunity to exchange corruptible things for the things of the kingdom of heaven, you shed tears, spurning the one who asks you and refusing to give anything while contriving a million excuses for your own spending. That last line again. You are not disappointed when you must spend gold in order to purchase a horse or a car or a house or clothes. But when you have the opportunity to exchange corruptible things For the kingdom of heaven, you shed tears, spurning the one who asks of you and refusing to give anything while contriving a million excuses for your own spending. Why is it easier to drop $100 on Amazon than Habitat for Humanity? How come when God gives us money, we're not concerned with how we use it, but when other people ask us for money, we're concerned about how they'll use it. See, the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, 
the person all our hearts have been designed to be in relationship with, invites this man and us to come and follow him. But for the man, his wallet, his career, his retirement, were in the way for him. And how about for you? As the man turns away, Jesus faces the disciples and brings another sobering truth. Verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished, saying to one another, Then who can be saved? Now, I want to take a quick note. I hope this isn't too much of a rabbit trail for us. But I had grown up in the church, and I was always told this camel through the eye of a needle was uh, this turn of uh, B.C. to A.D. thing in Jerusalem where there's this wall and this very narrow alleyway that a camel had to get down on all fours and kind of like army crawl to get through. So it's actually not a, like, impossible thing. It's just a really hard thing. But after checking a dozen commentaries and listening to numerous sermons on the passage since then, discovered that small wall in the hole, or small hole in the wall story isn't actually historically accurate. There's no small hole to the city because Jesus isn't afraid to use sarcasm and hyperbole. He means what he means. It's easier for a big honking camel that we can ride to go through the sewing needle than it is for the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now it's ironic, right, that one of the most comfortable countries in the world came up with a side story to make it just really hard to enter the kingdom of God. So the disciples look at him astonished. If the rich guys can't get in, if the people who have a good life, if the people who are happy, if the people who seem like they have it all together can't get in, then who can be saved? And Jesus says, I'm glad you asked. With man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. Yes, you can write this on a sneaker for a sport game, but Jesus, when he says this, he's talking about salvation. With man, salvation is impossible, but not with God. Because salvation is possible with God. On his own, man has zero hope to be saved. Those riches he has are going to deteriorate when he's planted in a box, or his property will go on to someone else. It's impossible for man to be saved, but not with God. It's Ephesians 2. We were dead, But because of God, now we're alive. Ephesians 2 says we were enemies of God, but because of salvation, now we're citizens of his kingdom. Ephesians 2 says while we deserved wrath from God, because of salvation, we received grace from God. Salvation is only of God. And then Peter looks at him and says, we have left everything and followed you. Now, here's something I want to give Peter credit for. We can hear that and start to think like Peter's panicking and like kind of expect Jesus to be like, yeah, shut up and get used to it, right? Kind of that like, uh, what I'd hear from my parents or I brought you into this world, I can take you out kind of thing. 
But actually, Jesus doesn't respond that way, right? He goes, truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive 100-fold more, 100 times more now at this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mother and children and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. Now here's the thing that we got to be kind of hold in tension here. Jesus isn't anti-stuff. Uh, Jesus feasts with people. In fact, the Pharisees complain about it a lot. Jesus gets his head anointed with expensive perfume, and the disciples are, want, are uh, angry about it, and Jesus sees it as worship. Jesus turns water into wine, and it's not the cheap wine, it's the best wine at the wedding. Part of the prophecy of the Messiah from the Old Testament was that he would be of abundance, flowing with milk and honey. He's not like that family member at Thanksgiving who gives you two slices of turkey, a single scoop of mashed potatoes, a tablespoon of gravy, and then two heads of broccoli. No, he's the God who your plate is overflowing with his goodness and butter and gravy. God is a God of abundance, but the moment your abundance becomes God, he will tear it down in a heartbeat. In Luke 9, we see a rich man who looks at his full barns and says, wow, look at all of this. I'm going to tear my barns down and build bigger ones. Jesus' response is, you fool, this very night, I will take everything you have, including your life. It's not meant to be kept to yourself. You'll tear down your barns, your bank accounts, your insurance policy, your retirement. He's a God of abundance but he will not let abundance be your God. But secondly, notice something else from this list with me. He lists all these things, fathers and brothers and sisters and mothers and fields and houses, and uh, he says they'll receive 100-fold. When do they get that 100-fold down payment? In verse 30 at the end, says eternal life in the age to come. Check out at the beginning of 30. Now at this time. Huh. A lot of Christians in this room. Uh, I'm guessing we haven't received a hundredfold houses, hundredfold fields, a hundredfold family. And right, this isn't some prosperity gospel message where God's going to give you your luxury car and your dream truck and your condo in Florida. Rather, it's when you follow Jesus, you get Jesus, and you are grafted into his family and everything he has. Let me give some examples. I don't have access to water to swim, to kayak on, or right, I could go to a public beach. I don't have a house on a lake. But my dear friend Joshua invites me over multiple times where we go kayaking, canoeing, swimming, floating. We'll have campfires down by the water, look at the stars. I don't have a piece of property. I work with college students, very social. Um, I love winter. I'm from northern Michigan. It's in my DNA, so I love to take people sledding. Mount Pleasant's pretty flat. Uh, I don't have a place I can take them sledding. But Pastor Jeff does. He invited 30 students over last year to the big... Uh, 
hill behind his house where they had an absolute riot sledding and roasting marshmallows there. You see, I've seen students who had no relationship with their father join Christ's family and then be surrounded by godly men who can nurture, protect, and provide for them as fathers. See, when it comes to the kingdom of God, Psalm 50 says he's the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And the rich young ruler couldn't give up his petting zoo for it. We can hold tightly to our families, our properties, our careers, our retirement plans, our hobbies, our vacations, and the kingdom of God can slip right through our fingers like sand. St. Basil's last quote I have for us is, When wealth is scattered in the manner which our Lord directed, it naturally returns. But when it is gathered, it naturally disperses. If you try to keep it, you will not have it. If you scatter it, you will not lose it. So the question I'll end this Devo with a college student when we meet is the same question I'll end for you. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Who or what is your treasure? Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you be our treasure? Would you be our portion? Would you be our delight? Would you be our love? Would you be our salvation? Would you be our dad who adopts us in? Would you be our provider, our protector, and our comforter? Lord, may we cast aside these sandcastles that we've built for the kingdom of God. And would we view you as ultimately worthy of our life, more than any plan, more than any dream that we could conjure up. We ask these things by the Son's name and the Holy Spirit's power. Amen. Thank you, Marcus. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's knowing that God loves you and that he does not want to take second fiddle to anything or anyone. It is about your relationship with him. The tables that are set before you it's interesting to me that in, in the providence of God, whenever he did something special for the people, he gave them a celebration so they would remember or help them remember. Jesus said on the night when he was betrayed, I want you to remember me. And so he did some things that were different during that Seder meal. He took bread. He broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body given for you. He is about to suffer and be broken. Treated shamefully so that you and I would be embraced by our Abba in heaven. He took the cup, the third cup of the evening. It was a cup of redemption. And he said to his disciples, This 
this cup represents my blood, which is given for the forgiveness of sins. I don't know about you. I have to go to God quite often to confess my sins, and getting older, I get more frustrated when things don't go right. And I, and I will do an oops, and then, oh, Lord, forgive me. And you know what? He does. Every time. Lord, don't you get sick of me doing that? And he's probably up there saying, yeah. <laughs> but when you come to me and you confess your sin, I will forgive you. Because my son Jesus has paid the price. He's paid a price for you. And he wants you to remember that. And he wants you to celebrate the fact that you are a part of his family. The passage that Mark was dealing with, part of that, part of that wonderful thing is he has put us in a new family. It's called the family of God. It's the kingdom of God. So as the music team plays, you are welcome to come to the tables. I think the, the table up here has gluten-free bread, if I remember correctly. You know the routine. Come down, take your bread and juice and it came to your seat. Sing along, rejoice and be glad because God is so good and he loves you so much. Father, we thank you for these gifts. They are incredible gifts. They represent the gift that you sent for our salvation our redemption, and the transformation of our lives. Lord, I ask in these moments you will help us strip away all those things that we tend to want to hang on to and place above you. Strip them away. Remind us again, oh God, who you are who your son is, and what he has done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the snow, no other 
Lord God, dismiss us with your peace and your blessing. May your Holy Spirit, who resides within us, go before us to prepare our way. And may we return again rejoicing in you, O God. Rejoicing in you and the forgiveness that is ours whenever we ask it. Thank you for the reminder once again of how much you have done for us. Let us live this week with a smile on our face. Make your neighbors wonder what you've been doing. And maybe you could tell them. Tell them about your Jesus. There will be some people up here after the service. If there is anything that you're dealing with that you would like prayer for, you may ask someone to pray with you and to help you. So Lord, dismiss us now with your blessing. In Jesus' name.